And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game 1037 Lafayette and a 1041 Lake Charles's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Hopefully you've been enjoying a lot of the wrestling over the last week or so. And my goodness, AEW continues to knock it out of the park. And that's what we're going to talk about for the bulk of this episode. Because there's a lot of things to kind of break down. We'll go through and talk about, first off, what's going on with the injury problems concerning AEW. Because they've been going through a rash of injuries from the time Double or Nothing ended until this point in time where Forbidden Door is wrapped up in a nice little bow. And it's crazy to see how many of these injuries are popping up. And it feels like every week we get a new one. It all started CM Punk. He had to vacate the AEW world title. That happened. Then you wind up having the entire card essentially change because the main event, it turned out they were going to go ahead and do John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tanahashi, excuse me. And this was hands down a match everybody had been looking forward to. And turns out it wound up being a lot better of a main event than maybe CM Punk versus the ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling. But it was interesting to see how many more injuries and other things kind of caused the show to continually be changed. And it really put forth the statement we hear about all the time when we talk about advertising in pro wrestling. We hear the phrase all the time, card subject to change. Literally, this thing changed so many times. And also, you didn't know who was going to wind up being able to perform on that given night. So much was going on. And so many changes had been made as we got closer to the show. Thankfully, you had a really good turnout. I believe they had over 16,000 fans show up at the United Center, which was phenomenal. You wound up having tons of different little changes here and there. Namely, yet Hiromu not be able to participate. He actually came down with a fever the day before he was going to make his trip over to North America for the big eight-man tag as part of Dudes with Attitudes, which we'll talk about a little bit later. You had that happen. You also had Adam Cole. He was basically fighting with a bad injury. I believe it was his shoulder. He was dealing with that. Brian Danielson was supposed to face Zack Sabre Jr. in a technical dream, technical wrestler dream match, which I know is going to be happening eventually down the road, but it was disappointing to not see that thing happen live in living color in Chicago as part of this big show. You had that happen. You also had, I mean, countless others. You had Tomohiro Ishii. He was injured, so he couldn't participate in the All-Atlantic Championship match. Clark Connors had to take his place, which all kind of brings to me a question I've been thinking about is what's been causing all this? What's been the big reason for all the injuries in AEW over the last month or so? And mind you, I think it's definitely a lot more pronounced because they had to hurry up. And for the first time, AEW's ever done this where they have one big pay-per-view right after another major pay-per-view because they've usually done the big four and there's enough time between the two to where you can build storylines. You can build angles and guys can kind of quote unquote take off. But I think the big thing with AEW is they have a lot of guys that can go. It's not like in the WWE where they all wrestle a relatively same and safe style night in and night out. And they do this over 200 nights a year. AEW only does one, maybe two shows a week. And a lot of these guys are wrestling one, maybe two matches, four 
AEW, but then we see what happens with the rest of the guys that are out there doing indie matches, like a John Moxley, for instance. But I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact of the way the AEW stars are working, because every time I see Dynamite, there's at least one, if not two bangers a week, and you see these guys just go all out every single show versus, oh, hey, pace yourself and let's make these some serviceable, fun matches, but not necessarily be this whole, let's go ahead and put on a four-star classic, or as I like to put it, a four-link boudin type match. That's where I think AEW's problem is. It's not as much what Booker T said and was later criticized for about some of these guys being small. For instance, Adam Cole basically being a twig. I'm not going to say that about Adam Cole. He definitely deserves... I mean, he put his body on the line and had a really good showing in that Fatal 4-Way. And also, I think that's why I think New Japan does a great job of covering up some of those issues where you have guys who are injured, not necessarily working you know, at 110% like you'd want them to, but when they do show up, they are relatively like okay because they put them in these eight-man tags, these multi-man matches when they do on, go on these long tours leading up to another big show. They like to do that, and I think that helps with kind of keeping guys, relatively speaking, of course, fresh. Because they work a hard style in New Japan Pro Wrestling. AEW, I feel like it's more of the same in the sense that they always will give you 110%. And it was interesting to see that entire thing go down as we kind of progressed. I mean, we wound up hearing rumors that possibly John Moxley, he very well could be out as well. You know, during today's Wrestling Observer Radio, Meltzer noted that Moxley said in his post-match promo he was may have suffered a concussion, said that he was covered with blood, and said he may have been concussed too, but hopefully that's not the case because the last thing you need is another concussion heading into their heavily hyped blood and guts match because that would definitely hurt a lot of the hype surrounding it, especially when you had the post-match angle with the JAS and the Blackpool Combat Club and LAX all going at it, and it's going to be a six-on-six blood and guts match, and I think that's going to be a ton of fun to say the very least. But I'll just go ahead and kind of end this part of the podcast with this. I give so much credit to these guys for putting on a phenomenal show. I'll go ahead and say that right out the gate. Because this could have been an unmitigated disaster. Because you are without a lot of your top guys. CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole wasn't 100%. Hangman Adam Page was there. But outside of that, you didn't have Kenny. You had the Young Bucks in a six-man tag. It just hurt to see how much was going down and how much things kind of had to change at a, at a whim and you were without a lot of your top guys. And they managed to put on a really good show, all things considered. Now let's get to the actual show itself. And I'll start off with the buy-in matches and they had some really fun buy-in matches. First off, you start off with a tag team match with QTM Marshall and Aaron Solo taking on Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto. And first off, great to see Kevin Kelly at the announce desk, Excalibur and Taz alongside with him. You also had, which I love the fact that they did this, and I loved it even more at the end of the month, at the end of the night, during the final two matches. 
So we got Justin Roberts and Taki. I'm probably going to butcher the hell of his name, but Takiyuro Shibata handled the, the announcing duties in tonight's action. The first match, pretty standard stuff. You wound up having QT Marshall at one point hitting possibly the single worst Sasuke special of all time. They call it the Marshall special and it was, or the QT special. I don't know what they called it now, but this was bad. But then again, we wound up also seeing Aaron Solo. He shined in this match. Again, a pre-show, typical kind of stuff. And hopefully we get to see more of him because I think he's starting to like kind of hit that certain level to where he could be pushed up into potentially the Rampage spot and eventually Dynamite because he's, he's a guy that's getting there. QT at one point hits a 450 splash. I was blown away by that. No one was there, though. Yoshiashi and Goto get the win with the Shoto. Two and a half links of Bune. Very, very passable match, but, you know, it's a pre-show match. What do you expect? Lance Archer versus Nick Camarado, and my God, this was the Haas fight of Haas Vices. Right out of the gate, Archer had a really cool springboard or slingshot uh, cannonball, depending on what perspective you look at it. Hits that, and then they're going off to the races. They're just slapping each other like crazy going at it. At one point, Camarado early on hits a really good-looking military press. Archer got out of it, though. And if you like those Haas matches, this was a damn good one. Archer got the win with the blackout. This was another like two and a half links of Boudin. Good showcase for a guy like Lance Archer, who is heading to the G1 Climax next month. And I'll say this about Lance Archer, then I'll kind of move on to the other match on the buy-in. I got two more to get to. But Lance Archer is a guy that has kind of been treated as like it's in a weird way, where he has these moments where he keeps getting pushed and gets over, but he never gets past that this echelon, basically. He, he's always going to be, to me, a mid-carter, but he could... And should be that upper mid to main event guy. They treat him more like he's a mini boss. He's gotten plenty of opportunities to be in the main event of AEW pay-per-views and big AEW shows. But he feels like four different baby faces in the company. He's that like mini boss. Basically, he's, I would have to say, kind of like the Koopalings in Super Mario Brothers 3. He's one of those guys. A guy that you face off against before you face the big one. That's what he feels like to me. And he shouldn't be. Because he is an absolute just beast inside the ring. And he has that certain personality. Because he's a larger than life guy. Amongst a group of, let's just say it. Smaller indie rific cats inside the ring. And it's definitely a lot more of a stark difference than seeing him in the quote-unquote land of the giants of the WWE. And him and Nick Camarado, it's a rarity to see two of these big hosses bumping meat and going at it. Then we get to a really fun tag team match between Swerve and Our Glory, and El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kadamaru. And I got to say, first off, what happened to the Swerve and Our Glory breakup angle from the Battle Royale? That said... This was a really fun match. These two just went back and forth. And it felt like, you know, Swerve and Desperado had absolute chemistry together. And I'm really disappointed we did not get to see Swerve Scott in the Best of the Super Juniors this year. I'm really hoping we do get to see a run for Swerve in there. Not necessarily very likely because they always kind of never give those guys an opportunity. I don't know why, 
but that's them. At one point, Kanemaru, they wound up working Keith Lee's knee a lot. And Kanemaru locked Lee into a figure four. And then you had Desperado lock Swerve into a stretch muffler. Lee grabbed Tespi and threw him straight into Kanemaru. And that was just cool as hell. They try and do the Swerve in our glory finish. The Powerbomb into the Meteora, which is one of my favorite tag team finishers right now. But Desperado gets him off the top rope. Then Kanemaru does the whiskey mist in the face of Keith Lee for two. Swerve winds up cleaning house. And then that sets up Keith Lee to hit the Big Bang Collision, the BBC for the win. Three in League Sabuna, definitely good stuff. And after the match, you had Hobbs and Starks cut a promo from the Swedes. And they're kind of talking about them being the Jordan Pippen of the tag division. While Swerve and Lee are more the Shaq and Kobe. Again, they're in Chicago. Great cheap pop there. Also loved the fill-in, Philip Banks line. That was really good. And then we get to the DKC, not the Donkey Kong Country game, but no, DKC taking on the acclaimed Smax Caster and Billy Gunn and the Ass Boys. I'm putting it as the Ass Claimed in my notes. And Max Caster continues to be one of my favorite characters in AEW because he is highly entertaining. His freestyles are always on point. And he had a really good line here that I love. This one was kind of like relatively tame compared to some of the other ones he's done. But you have Max Caster saying, I'm going to make you call me Senpai. Y'all are probably in the dojo watching hentai. I absolutely was laughing at that moment. And then before the match even starts, they decide to add even more comedy into this. And honestly, Dan Housen rules for this. Because he had the song that he released a while back called Billy Ass and the Ass Boys. They straight up just go ahead, throw this in there out of nowhere on the show during the buy-in. And all of a sudden, Colton and Austin Gunn just haul ass to the back. Basically a four-on-two handicap match. Quick stuff here. Gunn tags in, cleans house, hits the Famouser, which leads to the mic drop for the win. The pre-match BS was more memorable than the actual match, to be honest with you. I can not cannot remember hardly a single spot outside the finish. But two links of booting. Good stuff more because of the pre-match gimmickry. Because that was kind of fun. Now we get to the main card. Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki versus Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shooter or Shota Umino. Umino, there we go. And this was really fun right out of the gate because Yuta hits six straight German suplexes. He was not letting go and the fans were eating that bleep up. Sammy Guevara tries to slow down Yuta after getting tagged in. Doesn't last long. Shooter gets in the ring and the fans get behind Moxley's son. Eddie Kingston and Minoru get to massive chop fest as expected because these two were just going after each other for a good two or three minutes. At one point, Suzuki tried to break Kingston's arms. Basically had that draped over the rope for a good, like I'd say 10 seconds. More than enough for Jericho to start working on the arm. And it played a huge role into this. Suzuki wound up hitting a massive-looking Yakuza kick on Shooter. Knocks Yuta off the apron. And that turns into a PK. Maji Katami, which is probably the move of the night. I think half the wrestlers put that on. Eddie Kingston gets the ropes, though. Shooter gets in and is a house of fire. Great hot tag sequence. And this was kind of a star-making performance for a guy that was a young lion a couple years ago. And these two... 
these three team these two teams just went at it. Eddie wound up hitting a tope suicida with that elbow, which looked great. Suzuki teased a dive to the outside, but he said, nope, I'm too old for this bleep, and I'm just not going to do that. Yuta takes out Suzuki, starts to attack Sammy Guevara. Kingston tags in, locks in the stretch plum on Sammy, but Suzuki breaks it up. It devolves into a Pier 6 brawl. Everybody's getting big moves in. Jericho puts the walls of Jericho on Shooter, but he counters, and then we get a code breaker for two. Shooter hits a second rope power slam. Really cool spot, but only gets a two count. Guevara and Yuta go fight on the outside. Kingston hits Jericho while going for the Lion Salt, but it's only good enough for Shooter to get a 2.9. Shooter locked in the walls of Jericho, but Sammy lands a pair of big kicks to lay out Shooter. Kingston drops... No, excuse me. Suzuki drops Kingston with a gotch-style pile driver. Then Shooter gets one more hope spot, but Jericho snuffs that out quickly with the Judas effect for the win. Four links of Bunan, very hot contest to open up the main card of this show which was loaded and i'm amazed we didn't get to the end of the show at midnight it wound up just ending right around right before 11 o'clock we get to the winner take all match between rapongi vice roh tag champs ftr and great okan and jeff cobb the iwgp heavyweight tag team champions this match really kind of further kind of push the narrative of this show kind of being cursed because Dax Harwood injures his shoulder very early on after an elbow drop. It did not look good. Rest of the match was really solid. Rocky and Beretta took it to United Empire. You had an Iron Claw slam or Romero on the apron. Trent nearly won the match, but Ocon kicks out of it. United Empire attacks Cash, but Dax runs in, gets a big hot tag. The crowd went nuts. And he was taped up to hell on his non-dominant arm. They kind of explained that later. Yeah, the multiple Germans by Dax, but Cobb rams him into the corner to stop that. You want to get a double superplex spot on Cobb, but then Cash is a big splash for two. It was basically a modified version of Power and Glory, where you had basically both both Dax and Cobb, Dax and I think it was Trent do the double superplex, and it works. And it looked good. Cash and Rocky wound up hitting a spike pile driver on Jeff Cobb, trying to take out the big man. I like that. Double rising knee strikes on Cobb lays him out for a brief moment. United Empire hits the Iron Claw and a German suplex combo for 2.9 to 9 to 9. FTR winds up winning it with the big rig out of virtually freaking nowhere. Four and a half links to Boudin. Love seeing the rallying back. Now, whether or not it, this was part of a work or what, I'm not going to go ahead and get into but this match slapped, and hopefully we get to see more of FTR having these landmark matches, and hopefully they get well soon, because honestly, I really, really, really need to see at all out 2022. I was going to say it. Give me FTR Young Bucks for all the belts. That would be a six, if not seven, star classic and go down as one of the big, best tag team matches in the history of our great sport. Then we get Juice and Jay White. They're backstage. And Juice Robinson basically says. The US title match later on. Is basically a number one contenders match. Because he had to vacate the title. Because he couldn't wrestle. Because of a, an appendicitis issue. White says he'll still be the champ. After beating Cole, Page, and Okada. In their match later tonight. Which was the co-main event. We get to the AEW All Atlantic Championship match. 
Malachi Black versus Miro versus Clark Connors. This match immediately devolves into madness. Pack gets hit with a massive knee by Black while on the top rope. Pack tries to hit a sunset flip power bomb, but Black hangs on. Miro and Malachi go at it for a while, which was great. Clark Connors also really got over in this match. Kept popping in. He kept getting his ass kicked, but damn it. He had the ability to look good throughout this match. Because he kept fighting back. Miro dropped him with a big Uranagi. Miro and Black start putting the boots to pack, but it's clear the alliance between these two wasn't going to last long. They eventually start wailing on each other. Miro teased the big kick into a game over, but Pac winds up hitting a big super kick on him and stops him dead in his tracks. Really fast sequence with all four men getting some action. Black breaks out a table, tries to take out Miro on the outside. Couldn't do it. Then Clark Connor spears Miro through a table on the outside. Connors fights back, nearly wins with the trophy kill, but Black breaks it up at the last second. Pack sets up for the Black Arrow, but Black crotches him. Of course, he can never hit that move against him. Tower of Doom spot with Miro cleaning house, hitting a just massive looking power bomb. He puts Connors into the game over, and he is just demolishing him. This should have been over right there. Pack breaks it up, and then Black put him in an arm bar. Put Connors into an arm bar to finish the match, but Pac breaks it up with a 450 splash and hit, locks in the brutalizer on Clark Connors to win the match and is your first AW All Atlantic champion. Genuinely did not see that coming. I think for that alone, it's got to be a four links of Buddha match. Definitely some amazing stuff here. Now we get to the six-man tag team match that was originally supposed to be an eight-man tag, but like I mentioned, you had Hiromu Takahashi. He could not participate in the match, wound up running a fever just before making his way over from the Pacific all the way to the United States for the big match in Chicago. So it was just Young Bucks, El Fantasmo with Hikaleo at ringside, taking on Darby Allen, Sting, and Shingo Takagi. And of course, Tony Schiavone is out here for this match. But doesn't but at first Sting doesn't come out after a year. It's Sting, all that stuff. Then the Young Bucks come out with obviously El Fantasmo. And I absolutely love the fact they actually brought this up on the show. And then they come out, Sting shows up, they show it seemingly him standing in the rafters. Nope. He is on the stage. Lights come back on and dives on all three of them off the stage. Absolutely insane to see that in 2022. <clears throat> Seriously, he's 63 years old and is out there taking bumps off of the top of a stage. I don't understand why he does that. Doesn't need to, but damn it, it's entertaining. Really good. It felt at certain points it was like a comedy match. You had the back rake where Matt was doing the theatrics over done it it was so it was so fun to watch though and these two went at it really good six-man tag takagi gets the hot tag at one point starts going off on the bucks had a really nice twisting snap suplex and i've never really seen shingo takagi wrestle all that much because i don't i watched new japan but i don't necessarily remember seeing much of like a shingo match that got me invested mind you whenever i usually watch him he's part of these multi-man tags and those i see him more than enough time so it's kind of Okay, Sting gets in and does his classic no-sell spots. He, 
I, I was like, why the hell did they do this to the man? But Phantasma tried to basically pinch his nipples. Yes, you heard me right. Do that on the icon. Bucks clean house, but gets stopped after a double super kick to Sting was no sold for a moment. Because as soon as he kind of got his big spot in, he went down in a heap. Darby tries to hit the coffin drop, but the knees are up. That leads to more bang for your buck into Thunderkiss 86 by El Fantasmo. Fantasmo wound up hitting a really nice acai moonsault. And I really like the finish here, how they wound up doing this. Because you had Sting duck from the BTE trigger, hits the Scorpion Death Drop on both of them. Shingo, well, actually, El, El Fantasmo kicked out of a massive lariat by Shingo. Then he, the Shingo hits a last, last of the dragon for the win. Four links to Budan. Definitely interesting match. It was good to see Shingo get the win for his team and hard fought from start to finish. You get backstage segment here. Shooters being interviewed backstage, but Jericho Appreciation Society Hope shows up and he gets a fireball for his efforts in the opener earlier tonight. Jericho's going to get murdered for touching him. Uh, Moxley's son and also Kingston just wants to kill him too. So it's going to be very fun to see that go down. AEW Women's Championship match. This, I admittedly, was the worst match on the card. And not because it was bad. It just felt very one-sided. And I wasn't necessarily looking forward to it. And that's saying something. Considering you have Tony Storm, one of the top women's wrestlers in AEW right now. You've got her in there. You've got Thunder Rosa, who has been putting on some really good matches. And this is your women's title match. And I wasn't necessarily... It's not a knock against the the women, first off. It's just a match I didn't care for that really just did not belong on Forbidden Door. Again, that's just my perspective. This could have been a really good co-main event on Dynamite, Blood and Guts. I think this would have been good on Wednesday. But at one point, the match finish was kind of cool. We had Rosa hit a Death Valley driver and then hitting a thun- Fire Thunder driver, but that only gets a 2.9. Storm tries to hit Storm Zero. Rosa counters. And interestingly enough, she takes a page out of Dustin Rhodes' playbook, which I liked that touch. And that is winning with the Reckoning. Excuse me. That's not what it's called. The Final Reckoning is what it's called for the win. Basically, the spinning suplex that he used to do it's almost like a inverted crossroads but looks fantastic it was a fine stuff here Rosa was really dominant in the second half of the match it kind of felt like it could have been a few minutes longer a few minutes shorter three and a half leagues of boot I think is a perfectly passable kind of great here now we get to when this show really starts to pick up because you're at the final four matches on the card and all of these are pretty much guaranteed to be bangers we start off with the IWGP United States Championship, Orange Cassidy versus Will Ospreay. We have no new Orange Cassidy theme, at least not yet. Sean Ross Sapa Fifa wound up saying the new theme is going to be dropping soon. It just needs to clear a few more hurdles. Cassidy gets his signature, hands in pockets, and we see those two put together some really good sequences early on. JR winds up randomly popping up in the match. Osprey hit knees in the face of Orange on the outside. He basically had a head full of steam. Reminded me of like Braun Strowman with the choo-choo train. At one point, Osprey hits a 1080 backbreaker. That's why I'm calling it. Because he wound up spinning about 50 full rotations and then landed with a backbreaker. It looked 
awesome. Osprey dominated the bulk of the match, hit a big somersault kick that looked like it absolutely laid out Orange Cassidy. Forearm off the top rope to Cassidy for two. He teased the head and blade, but Cassidy slumps down like he is KO'd. Osprey connects with some Kawada kicks, but Cassidy rallies back with his vintage offense and then winds up going with some lazy Kawada kicks, which I pop for. Oscutter attempt, but Orange moves out the way. Stun Dog Millionaire, Michinoku driving for two. Osprey tries to hit Cheeky Nandos, but Cassidy gets out of it, hits a Tornado DDT, and a dive to the outside. Orange takes out Aussie Open and nearly wins with a big top row DDT. At one point, Osprey hits a beautiful Spanish fly. Like he damn near went two full rotations on that. It looked insane. He hits Cheeky Nandos. Orange throws Osprey straight into the corner cam. Like I'm talking Basham Taz with the great line GoPro Jones. Cassie hits the beach break for 2.9 forever. Cassie goes for the orange punch, but Osprey hits a pair of Oscutters. Doesn't get the job done. Osprey, Orange again ducks the hidden blade. Almost gets hit with Stormbreaker, but he winds up flipping it. Roll it up for two. Osprey drops him and hits the hidden blade. But Cassidy still kicks out, which was wild. Then a Stormbreaker lets Osprey retain. Four and a half links of Bune. Osprey United Empire started a post-match attack, but Rapongi Vice run in to stop the Aussie Open. But the numbers game was just too much. And then Shabata comes out. He takes that Aussie Open and takes the Osprey and almost like, secured him and uh, choked him out with a rear naked choke. But Aussie Open gets him out of the ring. That match is going to freaking rule when that happens. But going back to Orange Cassie, everybody, well, I say everybody, I mean, basically Jim Cornette is basically the guy that has absolutely been dumping on Orange Cassie. For a lot of different reasons. And I get it. It's way different. And it feels like it's slapping business in the face. I get where Jim Cornette's coming from. But he has no valid argument anymore. To be quite honest with you. Because Orange Cassie. Since the pandemic. Has gotten better and better in the ring. Mind you. He's always been a really good hand. Now we're seeing he can be a damn good wrestler. Doesn't need to have like all the little gimmicks. And he talks about. Little dog pockets, all this stuff. Orange Cassidy puts on some really freaking good matches. I think this will go down as the best match of his career when it's all said and done because he was pretty much going like 120% compared to what he normally does. And give credit to Osprey. Osprey is a great dance partner to be with. This was a very fun match to kind of really start the second half of the show. And this is when Ish started picking up. And it really got better with Zack Sabre Jr. versus Claudio Castagnoli. The former Cesaro makes his debut front of the program. Claudio winds up hitting a European uppercut and gotch neutralizer for two. And it was almost like immediately looked great. And this was the epitome of why I was so looking forward to the match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson. This was technical wrestling to the nth degree. They did a great job throughout this match. Claudio showcasing his strength. Why not like just at one point having ZSJ in a powerbomb position outside the ring. He walks with him, walks up the steps and throws him back into the ring. That was sick. But ZSJ also showed his technical side. 
giant swing, countered into the front guillotine. Gut wrench slam from Claudio off the second rope. He turns his match around, teases the giant swing, but ZSJ gets the ropes. We finally get the giant swing, but he can only get five revolutions because his arm's hurting. ZSJ counters a sharpshooter into a heel hook, which was like chef's kiss. So damn good. And probably the highlight of that match for me. You wound up getting the finish, which was as expected. Zack Sabre Jr. does the yes kicks. Claudio follows that up with a European uppercut into a lariat. Pop-up European uppercut, discus lariat, and wins with the Ricola bomb. Five links to boot in my book. This was a technical masterpiece. And like the I was I'm always blown away seeing how the Twitter polls work out. Because it really speaks to how much things are subjective, especially and obviously in pro wrestling, things are always subjective. We never know exactly what you're thinking out there in listening. Land. We never know exactly what you would love to see. And I think this one, it was clear to see that a lot of people loved the show. The poll is out and it's actually about to wrap up at the time of this taping. And it's 86.4% all going thumbs up, 13.6 thumbs in the middle, not a single person going Batista style thumbs down. But what blew me away was the fact that Orange Osprey won the match of the night honors in the poll by a mile. 70.4% to Zack Sabre Jr. Claudio 22.2. And again, that's just personal preference. I have always enjoyed a lot of the Ring of Honor technical wrestling style stuff. And this was what I wanted. This was very much a like Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit-esque match, like at WrestleMania 17. This was what I wanted. And they brought it from start to finish. Now, Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson, that could break the the scale and the star ratings for mine personally, because that would be a masterclass in how to do a technical wrestling match, and people need to take note of that. IWGP World Heavyweight Championship is your co-main event. Adam Page, Adam Cole, Kazuchika Okada, and Jay White. We get no red shoes, which was another thing that kind of pissed me off. Like, why give us the opportunity to have like a New Japan title match and you don't have freaking red shoes in this? Come on now. But the crowd went nuts when the coin dropped. Crowd went wild. Colin and White immediately duck out of the ring. And it definitely the bulk of the story was about Paige and Okada basically in a tag team match trying to avoid getting their ass handed to him by Colin White. At certain points, he saw them, saw that friendship fall apart between Adam Cole and Jay White. We get to see that more in the finish, which I'm also going to bring up something that I didn't notice till this morning. When I kind of after I break down the finish, you had Cole at one point running, teases Panama Sunrise, and then it looked like I basically called it the air raid crash on my notes, where he set him up after that and hit him and just landed on his knee, which looked great. Several incredible drop kicks. And by the way, Okada, like one day we'll do the top five list of like the best freaking drop kicks in the business. I think Okada is towards the top. Then you have Okada hit a Macho Man style elbow off the top rope. Rainmaker pose with the camera angle. Great stuff. Cole ducked Rainmaker. 
lands three massive super kicks, but it's only a two count. He continues the super kick party, can't quite finish it off. Okada misses the Rainmaker again. Jay White runs in, hits the Blade Runner Okada, but pins Adam Cole to retain the title. And it's also kind of planting the seeds for another story down the road with White and Cole maybe squaring off one-on-one for the title. Undisputed Elite comes out to check on Cole as White and Gato smile at the handiwork. I wrote that down in my notes, then I wound up seeing a GIF during the match or after the match was over once the Undisputed Elite came out where the Young Bucks were going towards Adam Page, but you have Bobby Fish, basically, no, excuse me, Kyle O'Reilly, basically point him in the direction of going focus on Adam Cole, which again, it's planting more and more seeds of elite versus undisputed elite, the Paragon, whatever they want to call themselves. It sets that up really nicely. Now we get to the AEW interim world championship match, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus John Moxley. Moxley comes out first and they hooked me like a fish with the fact they had the Death Rider intro. I was like, oh God, they're bringing it back. This is exactly why I love New Japan because they had that Death Rider intro. It's so damn good. And I maybe think they're actually going to do the full song. Nope. We go straight into Wild Thing, which is a phenomenal song. But it's New Japan. I want to hear that song again. Death Rider is probably my favorite John Moxley theme. And just seeing these two stare down was worth the price of admission. Good back and forth already on. You had a fighting spirit spot early where they were just absolutely wailing on each other. And again, it's expected the history between these two, which was told extremely well in the pre-match package, which I liked how they did the entire show. It And especially the like buy-in. You didn't go through like 20 minutes of video package. You actually had things on top of it to where it felt like a legit pre-show without having like 30 minutes of filler and people just jump in whenever. Moxie at one point locked in a nice STF on the ace of New Japan fight spills to the outside. Mox put him through the ringside table, but Tanahashi beats the 10 count like 9.5. Moxley locked in an arm bar, but Tanahashi gets out of it, starts stomping Mox in the face, and then he hits the sling blade on Mox, rolls out of the ring, and he is busted wide open like Gushin. Massive crossbody by Tanahashi on the outside. Mox is going for the paradigm shift, but he counters into the twist and shout. Mox is to release German and a paradigm shift for two. 12-6 elbows, trying another paradigm, but Tanahashi hits a headbutt to counter it. Kamagoye knee, another ace is high, then hits the high fly flow for about two and a half. That turned into the bulldog choke real quick. Great counter, great transition too. King Kong Lariat for one. Mox is busted wide open. Goes for the 12-6 elbows again into a rear naked choke. Fans are rallying, and then it just kind of escalated even further. Fans are chanting, go ace. And then we get the Death Rider for three, and Mox is your interim AEW World Champion. He's guaranteed a fight with CM Punk down the road. Four links to Budan, great main event, and yet another banger from Moxley during this run he's been having. He's been on the best run of his career by far. But I also want to bring this up. And I I included this in my notes when I was, again, I'm running through the match, writing notes as the match goes on, and also taking notes from commentary when I'm writing down what the finishers are or what different moves are that I don't necessarily know off the top of my head. I'm not a walking, talking wrestling encyclopedia like a Mike Tanay or a, you know, 
Excalibur even. Excalibur knows every single move, every single hold. Again, he's a wrestler. He should know every single hold in the book. But I want to bring this up because if you were part of the DraftKings sportsbook pool, and you, if you weren't, I'm going to go ahead and break it down for you. Because I actually wound up winning way more than I thought I was going to, to be honest with you. Because you had a good bit of entries, but you had seven of eight right. Yours truly did. And I'll go through the, the picks I had right now. I, I said, no, Brian Danielson wasn't going to interfere. The action was not going to spell out backstage. And they had Moxley will use the Lee. No. How many tables will be broken? One. Tanahashi with the first pinfall attempt. First wrestler, wrestler to jump off the top rope was Tanahashi. Will he use the high fly flow onto a table? He did not. And I put that as no. Now, the question is, the commentators called it the paradigm shift the first time. They called it the death rider the second time. Now, are we counting death riders as a paradigm shift? Or are we? Is it was more of a DDT the first time around, which I understand why they probably want to kind of counting it a different way, but it was still a little strange to yours, truly. But that was the difference between me getting $14.84 versus $85 off of that bet. Well, not a bet, really. It's a pick em. If you've ever done those, those are kind of fun to do. And I like looking at that. Uh, it's something I just, I knew I did, and then I was like, let me go ahead and watch this, see how this goes with the DraftKings pool, and move on. And I woke up this morning, not thinking about it, then all of a sudden, like, this afternoon, around like 3 o'clock or so, I'm like, oh, let me see what happened. See how I wound up doing. Because I knew I had the... I couldn't remember if, if Tanahashi went for the first pinfall in the match. Couldn't remember. But, I wound up getting 7 of 8, right? I was blown away by that. And also blown away at the fact I got more than like 25 cents. Now we get to the end of the match... And the post-match brawl, I don't, I don't know why we got this. I understand you're hyping up Blood and Guts, the next big show that's coming up on Wednesday. But you didn't need this. And it was a full-blown Pier 6 brawl. JS, the rest of Blackpool Combat Club without Danielson, LAX run out. And then Cesaro runs in and he gets this phenomenal like House of Fire sequence in, cleans house, hits a big swing on Angela Parker. Again, don't know why you need to do that. But I get it. Why not try and really start selling your next big thing? But at the end of the day, you didn't need it. Just just because my thing is, you have that match coming up on Wednesday. Let them build up that moment rather than let them just let the pigeons lose, basically, and let them go at it for about 20 minutes or, or five minutes. However, it just doesn't sit right with me seeing that go down. But again, far be it for me to stop a guy that's a two-time booker of the year and managed to make a show that could have been like not awful, but fall short of a lot of people's expectations turn into one of the best shows AEW has ever done. In my mind, no double or nothing. No, excuse me. All out 2021 is hands down their best show they ever did. And it's going to be very hard to top that. This was still a very good show. And I think all things considered, you can think this one shattered a lot of our expectations. And also Kingston yelling F you to Claudio during the post-match, the post-fight celebration. That was really cool. 
because again, those two have heat with each other, and I can't wait to see how that kind of devolves into the actual match coming up. Because you know they're going to be all the way here for that. But appreciate you listening into the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, why don't leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Also, just make sure you subscribe if you love it as well, because after all, that helps get more people and more eyes on the product. Mind you, I think you definitely get a lot more eyes on the product when you get more five-star reviews. But please, subscribe and listen to every episode. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week, and it's going to be a stacked show this weekend with UFC going down, Money in the Bank the same night. I will either be split screening or probably watching one and then the other on Sunday. Until then, take it easy, everybody. Take it easy, everybody.